0: welcome to threads of healing conversations with the wayward and the wise this is your host dr ila manga coming to you from johannesburg south africa threads of healing is the space for exploring what healing could mean by having deep conversations with wisdom keepers doctors artists, storytellers, fact-finders, and visionaries, we bring awareness to the voices who have answered their call to heal and to discover a new way of living, breathing, and being in the world, and will inspire you to do the same. On a warm autumn afternoon in 2017, I was walking up a mountain, somewhere in the cradle of humankind and I started having a conversation about breath work with the man that was standing next to me, a man that I had never met before. Not long into that conversation, I recognized this man as my spiritual brother, someone I have known from ancient times. And through our interactions, he has woken me up to the madness and the magic that is this country and this continent. He's a fact finder and a truth seeker, an investigative journalist, whose stories are creating not just rumbles, but earthquakes. But he's also a wisdom keeper and a healer, a man who has answered the calling of those who have come before him to bring ancient wisdom to light. Kevin Bloom, it is my great privilege to have you on Threads of Healing.
1: Thank you so much, Hila, That... Uh... That story and how that comes from your heart is uh, deeply felt. Thank you so much.
0: You know, your stories have taken you into war zones across Africa, into mining communities, into deep rural villages. And have you been exposed to stories that have been personally healing for you?
1: I have indeed. Um, In my travels across Africa, I was uh, very much looking at the continent through the lens of uh, its politics and its conflicts, which uh, were informed by its economics, which weren't necessarily of Africa. And... I chased that story for seven years, and towards the end of those seven years, in in, in the last countries I got to, and specifically the Central African Republic, which um, was sort of the last stop, and every time we'd get to a country, I wrote this book with Richard Poplack and Every time we'd get to a country, we made a habit of going where the conflict was the most severe because we couldn't do our jobs unless we did that. We were somehow evading the truth. And uh, in the Central African Republic, that was what was known as the fracture zone on uh, a river called the Waka River. Uh, 400 kilometers north of the capital, Bangui, in a town called Bambari. And uh, a month before, uh, 29 uh, human beings had been killed in, uh, in a clash between the uh, Seleka uh, rebels uh, who were to the north of the river and the Antibalaka who were on the south. And uh, that 400 kilometers took 16 hours to traverse and we broke down three times. And every hour or so, every five kilometers or so, there was uh, another roadblock manned by child soldiers carrying uh, World War I uh, rifles, Bandagikwa, they called it. And the presence of the French military there was um, pretty intense. When you land at the the only international runway in uh, the Central African Republic, there's one runway. And next to the runway is uh, what was for many years Africa's biggest refugee camp. At its height, it was 110,000 people. When we landed there in uh, 2014, Um, it's 40,000 people and, uh, there's a French garrison there as well. So you get the lay of the land as you land. Mm -hmm. Now the French hadn't been there before 2010 and, uh, the country was not in a civil war in 2010 and it wasn't divided on Muslim Christian lines on the 10th parallel. But when the French landed, it was. Mm. So it wasn't only the French, but on, on, on the back of the French, which geopolitically is the G8 and it's the NATO alliance, you'll find the European Union forces and the African Union forces keeping some sort of peace that ultimately in its genesis does feel a bit manufactured. Also, there are a lot of resources in the Central African Republic, and a very ancient way of getting the resources out of Africa is divide uh, et, et, et impera, divide and conquer. Mm. The British did it well, the French did it better. And um, to come back to your question, so the French Foreign Legion were, uh, were guarding the river, we got access to, uh, one of the, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Seleka rebel commanders, uh, a 25 year old man who, uh, had an IT degree and had a computer in front of him and an IK 47 beside him and a man who had been severely brutalized. And that was sort of, the last interview in the last country in the last fracture zone in this multi-year project, and um, it was a, a very deeply felt interview where you really could put yourself in in this man's shoes, given the most difficult of circumstances, he was Payul. So uh, that's uh, sort of an ethnic group that you'll find on the border of Chad and and the Central African Republic. And it's it's more um, Arabic Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, completely divorced from his people, finding himself in the civil war, 25 years old, incredibly smart, an IT guy. What had happened to him was that he had been uh, abducted with another two people and put in a sack with another, a big Hessian sack with another two people and, and dumped 65 kilometers north of Bangui. And uh, the soldiers just let loose with their AKs into the sack and he survived. He had to play dead. So, you know, at that point of interaction with human experience, it, started, it starts to filter through that the, um, the political or the economic truth that you're after doesn't hold the truth in its essence. And there were, there were many experiences like that towards the end. And it started to dawn on me that the book I'd written about Africa, which then got published uh, in, in, in the UK and South Africa, uh, uh, called Continental Shift, um, was the wrong book that the correct lens on Africa is Africa through the lens of spirit. And uh, very soon after that realization dawned, I found myself in front of Baba Credo Vusuma Mutwa, who was 94 years old at the time. And it was like a hole in the universe, how I found myself there. And three years after that, uh, I was wearing the beads and going through twice a process to become a Sangoma. And uh, today, I, I, I live in Africa and I experience Africa through the lens of the African healing tradition, which is what I practice and hold most dear to me.
0: Okay. So how has your calling as a Sangoma informed your work, your writing, your journalism, your storytelling, your listening?
1: So what's happened very clearly in the last um, two years is um, that more and more um, the the stories choose me and I'm not choosing them. I suppose that 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 was always the case, but now it's the case in a very conscious way. And um, for example... I wrote a story in February this year about Lake Fundudzi. Lake Fundudzi is the most sacred lake in South Africa. It's, it's the only internal freshwater lake in the country and it's high in the Soutpansberg Mountains. And Lake Fundudzi is sacrosanct, holy to not just the vendor healers, but to healers across Southern Africa. It, uh, it holds God in the form of a Python by the name of Moali. As a white Python, it holds the white crocodile. Trying to, the stories of trying to get to this lake, some, you, you can't find it sometimes. Uh, the way there is not straight. And the lake can disappear, uh, it's a natural phenomenon as well. I mean, how, how the water falls into the lake. Um, you can see two completely different lakes in the morning and the afternoon or from one day to the next. And, uh, Venda was the place, uh, through and Gara, who I think you've just interviewed to who, who's, who's my main teacher. And, uh, she, uh, saw that we needed to, on instruction from her spirits and guides, we went on a pilgrimage up there, myself and her. And, um, another one of my teachers who was taking me through Gopongo, the, uh, the, uh, the cleansing process where you use the red and the white Muti to, uh, the red Muti for, to clean the blood. And, and the white uh, muti to, to pull in the, the spirits. Um, and and he was there uh, with us. And uh, uh, another big uh, gogo. And we we got to the lake. It it was a it, it was a core part of of the ceremony. And it was the day of it. It was the day of the blood moon eclipse. You'll remember it was July 27th, uh, 2018 was that blood moon eclipse. Mm-hmm. And so to be bringing in the blood moon eclipse with, uh, three high, talented, uh, dedicated visionaries and seers in the African tradition by Lake Funduzi is, uh, a, a deeply meaningful experience in a soul activation. And, uh, 20 months after that, I get a lead on a, on a story that uh, illegal prospecting is happening on the shores of Lake Fundudzi. Lake Fundudzi um, is right next to another incredibly sacred site, which is actually on the level of Lake Fundudzi in terms of how holy it is. And that's the Tatevonde Forest, which holds many, many myths and secrets. And, um, the prospecting was happening in Taitavonde and, and around, um, Lake Funduzi. And the man who had this illegal prospecting license, his name was Ernest Tinawanga Mamba, M-A-M-M-B-A. And I was in Egypt at the time that I was finishing the story on a, uh, on a calling, on another, you know, what what African healers do is they travel on pilgrimages and go to places to do ceremony. And I, you know, I'm in that tradition and that's what I do. And there was a, a calling of 26 healers to go do ceremony in the temples up the Nile, ending in the Great Pyramid. Um, and the Funduzi story was, <clears throat> excuse me, coming together then. And... Uh, the, the snake, Wajit, is, is, is a very big totem in, in Egyptian cosmology and in Egyptian spiritual work. In fact, in any tradition, the snake is core. Right. And uh, the snakes were coming in visions mm-hmm. um, while we were in snake temples and uh, very much guided the story, and how it landed, and when it landed, and what it did when it landed. We appear to have stopped that prospecting.
0: So your stories are having far more impact?
1: Yes. Well, they're changing things on the ground. Right. And that doesn't… it doesn't really have anything to do with me. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to do what I'm told.
0: Do your colleagues think you're…
1: Mad, yes.
0: Yeah. But it doesn't change the impact of your stories, does it?
1: You know, I said that that a bit too quickly. Maybe sort of trying to bring levity into that situation. Do my colleagues think I'm mad? I, I don't know.
0: Does it matter to you? Less and less. What do you believe the role of the journalist is? Especially in our context, where we find ourselves now, in this country this particular time
1: you know the work that's being done uh, right now by uh, the best of our journalists is uh is is acting as a a funnel away into a deeper truth it's uh In its totality, when you look at the work like Pauli van Weyck does, um, basically exposing the VBS bank rot and putting Julius Malema in a corner. And you look at the work that Peter-Louis Mayberg does around Eismar uh, Schule and the Frieda Derry and... Massive, uh, I mean, corruption, fraud are, are, are not big enough terms. It's, it, state capture has, has changed the game. I mean, the state has been stolen. The state's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the government officers aren't answering their phones. They're not replying to questions from journalists. They're overwhelmed and collapsing. And so when you when you take that work as a totality, Bungani Sam Saul, Stefan Sprummer, you get a picture of the size of the rot. You know, we wouldn't know this if it wasn't for the journalists. The state is not telling us. The NPA is not telling us. The journalists are telling us. And it's true. And so the journalists are giving us a truth to which we need to respond as a nation. So
0: this is my next question. What is the invitation to us then in response to what we are becoming aware of?
1: Well, well, now, now, now the question goes deeper. And it's It's got to be a response to something that's of you. If you're othering it, you're going to go mad as a South African. And we're seeing this in, you know, the YouTube videos and the tweets of uh, the so-called white free-thinking, you know, I won't name the names, but we know who they are. There's a a certain sect that, you know, very much mirrors the white alt-right in, uh, in the U S and it's held within some sort of democratic Alliance affiliation and through the Institute for race relations. And they're very specific individuals that, um, uh, follow this specific line. And what they're showing is what it looks like to other Mm -hmm. and they're getting quite strong and they're blaming a lot of people for a lot of things
0: isn't that a human reaction to trauma to fear to other
1: it is but you can do that forever you know, ultimately, you're going to be the one who's banging your head against the wall and swearing in traffic and, you know, exactly. having a, a shit fit on Twitter, which is what they will do. So the, the instruction there with the journalism, because they, you know, like they love the investigative journalists, but everybody else is just somebody with an opinion that's not like theirs and their journalists are trash. Mm-hmm. Um But the way they are reacting to the deep truths of the best investigative journalism is what we need to look at because that's what it looks like when you don't own a problem in yourself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's this guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. It's this party's fault. As if something is going to come and save you. Just if people thought like you, if people were like libertarians and nobody paid tax, and the whole world is like an Ayn Rand book. So, the, you know, the, 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 the invitation to something much deeper and, and, and more authentic is through those veils. Yes. How? How do you do it? Well, how do you do it, Ila? I mean, that's what you do, you know, breath work. Um, it, 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 it's, it's an invitation through the breath into something that is us.
0: Yes.
1: And um, the answers, the way through yeah. <clears throat> the collapse of civilization, which is where we are, mm. is, is, is not going to come through our minds. We're, we're at the ends of our minds. Yeah. We're going out of our minds. There's no rational, logical way through this.
0: That's what I love about this whole virus. Indeed. It is completely beyond comprehension.
1: Mm. You know. Mm.
0: And I think it's a it's an invitation into the great mystery.
1: It's exactly. And it's
0: it. a invitation a lesson in humility and compassion.
1: It's also pushing all of our lies and deceits to the surface. We've never seen a higher divorce rate, um, domestic abuse, and how, how it manifests. I mean, it's, it's so interesting that this is the only country in the world where alcohol and cigarettes are banned. It's as if this country is, is whole, you know, I was discussing it last night um, with a very, very close friend that, uh, and she was saying, and I was agreeing. That it's as if South Africa is almost holding this um, collective will to self-slaying. I mean, when you're when, when you're beating up your kids, and or, or you're raping children, or you're murdering your spouse, it's 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 just such an insane form of self slaughter it's such a cry and the fact that this country which has some of the highest incidences of that in the world can't smoke or drink i mean let's not get into that debate about tobacco but can't smoke or drink it's not necessarily what ndz is you know what what her agenda is Mm -hmm. It's it's the fact that it's happening in this country, so you could be like the Institute for Race Relations and all our you know Ayn Rand friends, and you could just go on and on about it for for months, for months. Your civil liberties being taken away from you, or you could look at the archetypal impersonal symbolism of that. Why is this the only country? What is it about South Africa? What is it about this? Almost 400 years of racial oppression in this place as a cauldron between Table Mountain and the Limpopo River.
0: So in order to really make sense of what's happening now, it's, it's requiring a complete zooming out.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah.
0: But we can't just look at it from the surface level. Well. This is so deep.
1: The, the surface level is is crumbling. I mean, the surface level makes no sense. What are you going to bring to bear on the surface level, right? I mean, the stock market going to tell you about the surface level.
0: It feels like from a very young age there's been a sense of something deeper. There was a sense of being drawn to the mystical traditions. Of the Kabbalah, and you're incredibly knowledgeable around your study of ancient traditions, the Vedas. I mean, it feels like this is an anchor in your life, and it's become even more so. Do, do you have a personal practice that informs or anchors to your? Or do you have a personal practice that is your anchor that supports? you relating to what you are becoming aware of what is your daily practice
1: i mean the answer is absolutely you can't you can't walk this path um with focus and dedication um without a personal practice so my personal practice now is daily kriya yoga um I really resonate with, with that aspect of Sadhguru's uh, teaching, you know, in engineering, um, very much breath orientated um, and, and orientated in posture. And uh, in the in the two years that that has been my daily practice, <clears throat> it's it's completely changed my body. It's changed my posture.
0: I've seen that actually. I've yeah. noticed how your posture's changed. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's 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 changed how I eat. It's changed how the energy flows through my body, which it's supposed to do. So So
0: Honouring this physical body as the vehicle for the flow of consciousness.
1: Well, that's exactly what it is. You know, the entire cosmos is held in, in the human form. And it's not just Sadhguru's teaching. It's the core teaching of Kabbalah as well.
0: It's a golden thread that goes through all the mystical traditions, the indigenous knowledge systems.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And what also goes through them all is the breath. And and it's you know what calls me to the breath and and um, you know you enlivened the the breath in me, and it's in me all the time, you know how to use <clears throat> the, the nostrils mm-hmm. uh, to take in uh, experience, how that ameliorates, uh, alchemizes, enlivens, effervesces experience. That's what the breath does but you need to have a daily practice to go into those subtleties. So Kriya yoga I'm finding is, uh, yeah, I mean, mm. I'll be walking with this for the rest of my life.
0: And it's embodied breath.
1: It's embodied breath. Yeah. It's embodied breath. But that's, that's sort of my physical basis. Um, you, you know, through the days I'm, I'm now starting to consult, um, and to teach, which is something I've been wanting to do for a while. And, um, this is happening quite quickly and it started to happen quite recently. So it takes being in almost constant ceremony. Um, and, you know, I, 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 use the technologies that I've been initiated in. So, so it's the cloths and it's some pepper and it's ancestral, but it's also the Kabbalah. It's also Alistair Crowley. Um, they're, they're a range. And that all has to be kept alive and kept sacred if it's going to be used as, as a healing modality. And you're either, you're either wounded or, or, or you're healed. You, 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 you're one of those two things. It has to do with the idea of the wounded healer as well. Hmm. You know, not for everyone, but for quite a few people, this 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 is a path of pain and trauma. And it's a path of finding your potency and your power within your trauma. Mm. And, you know, my specific trauma has been uh, electroconvulsive therapy at the age of 20, a suicide attempt, which I was saved from. It wasn't an attempt. I was two minutes away from gassing myself at at the age of 20 and it's it's a trauma that you know lives within the cells but almost in hindsight is a trauma that was i'm I'm coming to see as inevitable um a, a trauma that was actually a teaching i mean and there have been other traumas along the way and uh how those traumas are dealt with how they're understood through the lens of shame is critical. You know, I do want to refer to Fran Grixt, the way Fran teaches in the ways of shame and how the four primary shames, betrayal, humiliation, which are on the bodily axis, you feel betrayal or humiliation in your body. Um, you know, they, they, they're holding the east or the west. And then there's the other axis, the north-south axis, uh, which is rejection or abandonment. And you're holding those specific shames in your mind the ability to understand that human beings will all have those four shames and that one will be core
0: that we have like a neural pathway that is you know that holds one of those particular emotions states of being
1: shames shames Shames, shame is the word and and your shame is your secret and your secret is where your life and your death live, your creation or your destruction. They live in your deepest shame. They must. Mm-hmm. They must. And so those shames are deeply anchored in what, uh, you know, more spiritual traditions would call demonic forces. And if you start to look at that, sh- those shames and you start to understand what the demonic forces are, you can give those shames demonic names. And you can begin to understand how everything actually is you. Hmm. You, you are a microcosm of, of, of the universe. That's what the body is. And yet. And yet. And yet dot, dot, dot. We're I mean, also more. We're also, yes. And
0: isn't that our work is to relate to our shames from a new place, not a new place, an ancient place?
1: Anxiety is nothing. I mean, what's the feeling? You feel anxious. Well, what are you saying?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everybody, it, it, the whole world is anxious.
0: Yeah.
1: But but, but where are you, right? Um, so you're either in happiness, in fear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in anger, or in sadness.
0: Mm-hmm. Like where are you relating to the anxiety from?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Are you relating for is is it fear? Okay, so fear we fear we can deal with. What does fear say? Mm-hmm. Fear says get more information so you can understand what's coming at you so you can stop being fearful. I so like the that. so the flip side of fear is information.
0: Ah.
1: Yeah. And I know this very much on the ground from going into the Central African Republic. You know, once once you go there to that fracture zone and you meet the 28 year old sort of commander of the French foreign legion who's standing there in the most expensive armor in the world and you look through into his eyes and you, you have a conversation with him. I mean, you know, I'm there in shorts with a notebook and he's looking at me like I'm strange. But, but that's an invitation into a conversation, same with a child soldier.
0: Just that he's so profound.
1: But that's how it is. All I needed was the information. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be the most God-forsaken plant on, uh, place on earth. Don't go there. Uh-huh. Don't go. You know, definitely don't go to the Central African Republic. Then when you're there, definitely don't go to the Fracture Zone. And then if you, if you insist on going to the Fracture Zone, you have to go in a convoy with the French army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No thanks all the way. Chas- chasing your fear into information. Okay. And the, the, so the information you get is there's actually not much to be afraid of, which is not to say be foolhardy you know don't be foolhardy. don't don't the, the, the you know bravado is not it's not bravado it, it it's it's you know what what's the truth it's a seeking for information and and so the exact same thing applies uh around the anxiety which is not a feeling you know The whole world is um, completely over-medicated for anxiety. I mean, there's a whole pyramid scheme going on globally through the pharmaceutical companies. And um, it's just giving you a pull for a a surface Mm -hmm. Mm dis-ease. What's below it?
0: So we spoke about fear.
1: So then sadness. Sadness. Mm -hmm. So sadness is asking you to grieve. Mm -hmm. It's asking you to mourn. It's asking you to acknowledge loss. It opens your heart. It opens your heart. And if it's not done, if you don't grieve and mourn, it turns into cruelty. You become cruel. Your heart closes. Anger. Anger is saying to you, this must change. (laughs) This must change. But how do, you, how, how do you walk that line? Are you going to start shouting and screaming and releasing a YouTube video where you blame Cyril Ramaphosa? Or are you going to own it? And happiness says do more of this. So, um, you know, quite recently I've started to take on clients and in some sense initiates. Part of this uh, healing track, this healing work is uh you know eventually to to teach to pass on mm-hmm. and uh you know my teacher has has been seeing for a couple of months that uh i've i'm i'm, I'm reaching that position and she's been seeing people coming to me I mean she's my teacher is a real visionary a real one and and now do you know that's starting to happen and um what what i do is i use the modalities that i work within so Kabbalah uh, uh, is is my grounding, uh, and then bring in the the African wisdom tradition to start looking at some um, ancestral links to cu- current present lived traumas, and to open up uh, the ancestors as uh, assistance for that. Mm-hmm this is something that you know has scientific uh deep value uh as well and we know from from the science of of, of epigenetics that uh well, well genetics classical genetics tells us that we inherit the traumas of of our ancestors so if you're the grandchild of a holocaust survivor that trauma is going to be in you yes uh, epigenetics has now uh replaced genetics and has said that You know, where genetics said you were fated to your genes, it turns out not so much. You can actually change that. Mm -hmm. So science is telling you you can change it, but it's not telling you how. African indigenous wisdom shows you how. Mm. And African indigenous wisdom is the oldest technology we have. For 99.999% of the human evolutionary arc, that was our technology. It was only in the last 400 years with the enlightenment uh, and the renaissance that came out of Florence in Italy that uh, we started to look at this stuff as primitive. Mm. Nothing primitive about it. It's our oldest technology. So I work with that and um, various methods of divination and my sensitivity to the human being. That has come to me for healing, and in in that process, the healer is also healed, mm. and uh, the cup grows, so you know there's that that's starting to happen, and teaching Kabbalah classes and those sorts of things I love it it's it's amazing that's incredible yeah
0: so may your work continue. it feels like spend another two episodes at least. But I think today we've explored deeply and broadly, and I just want to thank you for who you are, the work you do, and that you will continue to do.
1: Thank you so much, Eli. It's been uh, it's been a, yeah, a real honor and privilege, always, to have these conversations with you.
0: Thank you for listening to Threads of Healing the podcast. I'm your host Dr. Ila Manga. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to leave a review and tell us what you think. If you have found this podcast inspiring and useful and you know someone who would too, please feel free to pass this along.